Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of John. The Gospel Record of John in chapter number 12. The Gospel Record of John, chapter number 12. This morning we're starting a brand new Sunday School series dealing with the concept of discipleship. And the way that we're defining discipleship here is the idea of becoming a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why do we have to talk about being a true follower of Jesus Christ to a bunch of people who became Christians? We understand there is a difference between salvation and discipleship. Someone can know Jesus Christ as the personal Savior, but have still never made a decision to follow after the Lord. And so we're thankful that we can look at God and that we could follow after him and make a choice to do so. And so if you don't mind, as we start this brand new series out, turn with me to the gospel record of John in chapter number 12. The gospel record of John chapter number 12. And if you don't mind in John chapter 12, we're going to start looking together in verse number 20. The gospel record of John chapter number 12 and verse number 20 as we start this brand new series. We're uh, <laughs> thankful to the Lord to be able to study this. John chapter 12, and notice with me, in starting in verse number 20. Look with me, if you don't mind. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them in saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it and said it thundered and others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now this judgment of this world, and it shall be the prince of this world be cast out. And it, I, if I be lifted up from earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase, and we're going to be in this passage often from 
time to time. But if you don't mind, I'd like for you to um, notice with me in verse number 26, where it says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And then if you don't mind, as we talk to this, we want to see, as we start this idea of discipleship, we want to start with a principle here that multiplication be begins with God. Remember, there's a principle found throughout the Bible that everything begins with God. Everything begins with God. In fact, not only does everything begin with God, everything ends with God. That God is the goal of life. And as we start talking about following after Christ, we start talking about multiplication, we begin to start talking about true discipleship. We have to understand where it begins. It begins with God. Looking unto Jesus. Noticing Him. In the Christian life, we come to the understanding that God is always previous. Meaning that God is always uh, foremost. For example, before salvation could be offered, God. God started. Before the creation of the world, in the beginning, God. That it all begins with God. Before anything happens, God is always previous. That it all begins with God. In his work, there's no magic formulas or guaranteed equations. Unless he, God, touches the work, there is no life, no rep reproduction, no multiplication. He is the one that makes it work. So in this uh, <laughs> passage here in the gospel record of John chapter 12, Jesus Christ is on his way to the cross. This is right before the last supper. This is the day before. And as he's taking some time, an interesting event occurs. Notice if you don't mind as we notice this. It says in verse number 20, And there were certain Greeks... That uh, among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same, meaning those same Greeks, came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. So here are these Greeks, these people who are not Jewish people. They weren't raised in church. They weren't raised with the Bible. But they had heard so much about Jesus. They come up to one of his disciples, Philip. Sir, we shall see Jesus. And so Philip went and grabs Andrew and Andrew and Philip both go to tell Jesus. And Jesus begins to speak to them about this principle. Notice with me again in verse 26. If any man serve him, me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also shall my servant be. If any man shall serve me, him will my father honor. Jesus begins to give this idea of an example. If any man serve me. We start to understand this idea of following Christ carries the same idea of serving him. In fact, hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now, if you've been here any stretch of time. Philippians chapter 2 is a very familiar chapter. It's speaking about having the mind of Christ. And in Philippians chapter 2, I want you to notice something as we talk about the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 5. So the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of his man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
even the death of the cross. Now, what we're doing is we're laying principles. We're starting off by talking about that, that <coughs> before we can multiply, everything begins with God. We spoke about that if we're going to be a follower of God, that we also have to be a good servant. So let me pause here. Some of you know the answer. Let's see if some of the others can't help me out. All right. What is the only job of a servant? Answer. What's the only job of a servant? To? Good. If you answered serve, you are incorrect. Good. And I do that on purpose because that's what you think. The only job of a servant is to serve. What happens if you think yourself as the only job of a servant is to serve, then you find your, your value in service. So the only time that I'm valuable to God is if I'm serving. Notice if you don't mind what it says in verse number 7. But made himself of no reputation, speaking of Christ, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even to the death of the cross. If you're in the habit of marking things, would you mark the word servant in verse number seven and maybe circle the word servant and circle the word obedient in verse number eight and tie those two together somehow. The only job of a servant is to obey, to obey. Remember when I said that if we answer the question, the only job of a servant is to serve, that carries the idea that we find our value in our service. However, to be a good servant, we have to find our value in our obedience. Our obedience. What does that mean? Well, if my master tells me to sit here and wait, what is my job? To sit here and wait. Therefore, if God has put things in my life that made me where I'm not quote unquote serving, then I will feel like I'm disobedient. May I give a personal illustration? I have back problems. Most of the church folks know that. And there are two times in my life where God had put me in a place where I was in a hospital bed staring at the ceiling for two week stretches where I was told if I moved a little bit, my spine would sever. And my job was to stay there and look. Well, years prior, when I was healthy, there would be times I knocked a thousand doors a week, me and my pastor, and we'd put big things into it. Now, if I put my value of worth in service, then when I'm in the hospital bed, I feel like I'm nothing because I put my value in service. But if I realize that God put me here, and this is what God has put for me, and that my job is to delight in what God's given me, then I find my value in obedience. God told me to sit here and obey, then I sit here and obey. Does that make sense? I'm no less out of God's will when I'm in the hospital bed as when I'm healthy knocking doors. Does it make sense? We have to understand that the only job of a servant is to obey. Now this is all introduction. Because we're talking about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And we have to define what it means. That first of all, we understand that it all begins with God. That God knows what he's doing. He's able to direct traffic. We could see him. We continue with that idea that Jesus Christ gave the example and that he fashioned himself in the form of a servant. And as a form of a servant, the only job of a servant is to obey. Turn with me back to the gospel record of John chapter 12. The gospel record of John chapter number 12 
And I want you to see this as we go back. When we're talking about serving and following after Christ, John chapter 12, and notice with me back in verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, notice what it says, it bring forth much fruit. As we're now tying in these pieces that it all begins with God and that we understand that in order to be a, a disciple, we have to follow after God. That to be a disciple, we have to be a servant. To be a servant, we understand that the only job of a servant is to obey. Then we tack onto this idea that our purpose is to die. Without being dead, there is no multiplication. What Jesus Christ did is gave us an illustration. He said that if a kernel of wheat, a seed of wheat I have here, put in these little baggies a little seed. Do you know that if you plant this little tiny seed, the seed is going to die? But when it dies, it will germinate, and from it, it could form a plant. And when it forms the plant, does it just produce one seed? No, it produces more. It produces much fruit. But the secret is, is that this seed must die. When we talk about being a true follower of Jesus Christ and for fashion ourselves as a servant, understanding the only job of a servant is to obey, knowing that it all begins with God and he's the one that we're following, we realize that our part of multiplication is that we have to die to self. We have to die to our dreams, our ambitions, our goals, our desires. We must die. <laughs> What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I have packaged for you your own kernel of wheat for the purpose that you would have this reminder with you as we go through this series that in order to multiply, in order for us to be the person we ought to be and be used like God wants us to be, we, like this uh, seed, must die. But when we die, it will bring forth more fruit, much fruit. And that's what I believe every person who follows after Jesus Christ desires to have, that we desire to have much fruit. None of us want to be fruitless. Nobody wants to get to the end of their life and find out that they had nothing to show for it. We understand the only things that will last are those things that are eternal. And in order for us to have the life that God desired us to have, we must die. Again, verse number 24, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. So if I cast this seed and I cast it to the sidewalk, it just lays there. But in order for it to multiply, it must die. It says, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Verse 25 adds context. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. That we have a choice. We can love our life, love that little seed, and not die. That we try to take care of the seed. Make sure it does everything so it still lives. But it will never produce fruit. 
in order for it to produce fruit, it must die. So when we look at our life, we have to choose, do I give my life up so I could have more fruit in life eternal? Or do I try to protect my life, love my life, ended up having no fruit to show? It's idea, are we going to be fruitful people? Now with that introduction, let's dive in with just a little bit more as we start this series out, understanding that multiplication begins with God. Let's start off here with this requirement. There's only one requirement the Lord makes in our service to him, and that is death to self. So God takes from this idea of nature that if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. This work of multiplication cannot take place until there is death. There's no telling what God can do though, having a life that is dead to self. When a life is dead to self, it is now very much usable to God. We must die to self. Jesus gives the example. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for our sins. And because he died, we can all have life eternal. We are the fruit of that. Without him dying on the cross, we would not be able to have this life eternal. That he gave the example, he died to himself, literally. And now there's much fruit produced from it. As we die to self spiritually, we're going to have spiritual fruit to show from it. Or we could choose to protect our life. Notice if you don't mind, Jesus spoke about this. Verse number 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Verse 27. Remember that Jesus Christ was God robed in flesh. And because he was robed in flesh, he was just as much human as we were, just without sin. That means there were things he did not want to do. One of those things he did not want to do was to die. By the way, no one wants to die. When Jesus Christ went to the cross... That was not something that was going to be a pleasant experience. Because remember, not only did he go to the cross, he was also whipped and beaten before he went to the cross. That was not going to be a fun time. Remember, they tell us that first of all, he was scourged. And when you're scourged, they take a whip that has nine lashes. They call it a cat of nine tails. And at the end of each one of those lashes had a rock, glass, hook of some sort. And they would actually beat it into the bare skin of the victim. The historian Josephus said that after one lash, you could take your finger and touch the bone of the person who was just whipped. And they whipped Jesus Christ back until it looked like hamburger meat. How many people would say, you know what? That sounds how I want to spend my Saturday. That's, that's Nobody wants to go through that. In fact, most of us are adverse to pain. If we could avoid pain, we would take it every time. We get tired of hurting. And Jesus Christ, knowing everything, knew what he was going to go to. And in the flesh, he had the same struggle. Now, he's without sin, but this flesh does the same thing. I don't want to die. You know, we have that same struggle too. We don't want to die. What do we mean by that? We want our way. We want our goals. We want our ambitions. We have plans. We have a future that we have set out for us. We have our, what we want to do. But the Bible says to die to self, you die to all of that. 
Your dreams must die. Your ambitions must die. Your goals, your wants, your desires must die. And they must be replaced with what God wants for us. Now, again, that is hard. Because our flesh wants to live. It wants us to pet it and make it comfortable. It speaks to us. and We say, okay, I'll take care of you. I meant, you ever get hungry for a juicy cheeseburger? In your cabinet, you have peanut butter and jelly. But you have a craving for that cheeseburger. And so your flesh starts saying, please. And you go, oh, I love you, flesh. I know that we should save money and have the pe- peanut butter and jelly. But let me tell you, I love you so much. Let's go get a burger. You ever have that conversation? Now, you may have not necessarily talked to your flesh, but it's still that same idea. Your flesh craves something and you don't want to die. You know that you should save money, but no, I want to give in that craving. That's the struggle we go through. Our flesh wants to live. It wants attention. But in order for us to be of much fruit, it must die. Notice again in verse 28 as Jesus talked about, he says, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And there came a voice from heaven and said, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Here it speaks about that. He says, I surrender to you. And God says, that's my boy. He says, I'm going to glorify your name. I'm going to glorify it again because you're willing to die. We find this truth over and over and over. Turn with me to the gospel record of Luke chapter 9. Let me illustrate it again for you. The gospel record of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 22. The gospel record of Luke chapter 29 And notice with me, starting at verse 22, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised again the third day. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, In today's Christianity, we've got nice catchphrases. This is one that's adapted to it. Oh, well, I got to take up my cross. And it's amazing to hear what people say is a cross. Well, I got to go home and deal with my wife. I got to go deal with my cross. And they say it as cute little cliches. It's in Christian songs. It's in Christian vocabulary. But you understand back in the Roman days, to see someone carrying their cross is a big deal. When you saw someone carrying their cross, you knew that they were never coming back because they were going to go die. When you saw someone carrying their cross, it was not a happy, joyous time. It was one of dying. And so Jesus, who's in the Roman days, by the way, has not gone to the cross yet. He's pointing, guys, if you want to be my disciple... You have to go carry their cross just like you see that guy over there and carrying it, that's got to be you. And so it's different in the Roman days. You would see that symbol of pain, suffering, shame. It was a symbol of death. 
Again, this is before the cross. We often look at things after the cross. The disciples are not understanding that Jesus is going to the cross one day. It's not in their mind. So what is Jesus teaching in a way that they understood it? Boys, if you want to be my disciple, that's got to be you. Every day. You have to die daily. Now, again, that's not easy. And that's not something we like to do. Because we wake up in the morning and our flesh says, Hello! Feed me. Make me happy. Please me. And it gives us commands. And we have to die to that. We have to learn to tell our flesh no. We have to die to self. Because in order to follow God, it requires us to do something that our flesh does not want to do. We want our time. We like me time. We like enjoyment. We don't like work. But those things have to die. Those things have to die. It has to be either God's way or your way. Can't be both. Your way or God's way. This is the requirement to take up your cross and to follow after him. Take up your cross daily. So we see the requirement But let's see the reward. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to John chapter 5. The gospel record of John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and notice with me, if you don't mind, as Jesus teaches a little bit more in verse number 40. John chapter 5 in verse number 40. It says, And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye shall receive me not. If another come in his own name, ye, him ye will receive. How can ye not... How can you believe which have received honor of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? We see here that men are seeking for a glory of themselves, that belongs only to the Lord. This is the self-life. We like to do things in ourselves, and we like to get credit for it. Oh, look at me. I'm the greatest this. Oh, look at me. I'm pretty decent at this. I saw a cup once that said, I'm the world's most okayest dad. I mean, we just find something to brag on ourselves with, to, uh, to look. But we have to understand that it's not our life our goal, our reward should be, or should be looking towards God. Notice with me in John 12 and verse number 26 where we had started off. What is the reward of this? Verse number, uh, John 12 verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I should, am, there my servant shall be. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Notice this. What is our reward? To have God's honor. By the way, what does that mean? That means to have God's hand upon us. To have God's presence upon us. That God is able to use us to honor after him. To glorify after him. This is a big deal. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in um, Exodus 33. I want to show you something. What does it mean to have God's honor? Notice with me in Exodus 33. I meant... We got to clarify terms because if we don't, sometimes people, oh, I got God's honor. That's where you get the halo and that's where you walk around and angels go, oh, is where you walk around and no matter how dark it is, you got the light shining from overhead on you. What does it mean to have God's glory, his honor upon us? Notice with me is 
uh, we see this in Exodus 33. Exodus 33, here God in Moses are having a talk and Moses is asking God, can I see you? Can I see your presence? He says, as long as I know you're with me, I can follow the people. Let's pick it up in the middle of it, if you don't mind, verse 17. Exodus 33 and verse number uh, 17. And the Lord said, uh, let's get 16 for context. For wherein, this is Moses speaking to God, for wherein shall it be known that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? That's a good question. How do we know that we have your favor? How do we know that you have your honor? How do we know that you have your grace? Wherein shall it be known that here and I, that thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated. Notice, by the way, the presence of God separates us. And so we shall be separated, I and thy people, and from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight. Again, how are we going to find, how are we going to know that we found grace in God's sight? He says, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. Notice if you don't mind as we see in verse number 17 it talks about for thou hast found grace once again in verse 16 how uh, how shall we know that we found grace? Notice the word grace in 16 and 17. How do we know that we have God's honor and his grace upon us? Notice in verse 19 circle the word goodness. Goodness. How do we know that we have God's grace and God's honor? By God's goodness upon us. That we could see God's goodness. You know, God's always good and he does things for us all the time. We should be able to recognize the goodness of God in our life. How do we know that he's honored us? By his goodness, by his grace. Now, we come to the final question here, or the final thing, the reason. We talked about the requirement of discipleship. It's to die to self and to follow after him. We see the reward. What is the reward? Having God's glory, honor, presence with us. That should be what our goal is. Remember, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. The goal is there. Remember, if we make the goal... uh, producing fruit, we have the wrong goal. The goal should always be God. He should be the one that we're seeking to please. He should be the one that we're going for. The never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. He is our goal. He is our reward. He's what we're going for. Then we come to the reason. Go back to John chapter 12. What is the reason for all of this in the first place? Why? John chapter 12. John chapter 12, where we started off before. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 26, 27 and 28. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause I may come to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. What is the reason for it? So God could be glorified. Not our flesh, not us, so that God can get the glory. 
You know when people come to know Jesus Christ, God gets the glory. When people get right with God, God gets the glory. When God answers prayers, God gets the glory. It should be all about Him. Remember, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. He's the reason that God gets the glory. It should be the purpose of everything we do in our life. Why should people come to church today? Well, it's because I need it. No, we should get to here. We should get to the place where we're going to church because it glorifies God. Why should I go tell people about Christ to make it look like how great I am? I look at me. No, it should be to glorify God. Why should you read your Bible? Because if I don't, pastor's going to yell at me. No, to glorify God. Everything we do in our life should be to glorify God. Why do you go to work every day? It should be to glorify God. Everything you do should be for that purpose. And being a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ has that as its goal to glorify God. And everything I do and everything I say should be done to the glory of his name. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John 15 should be a familiar passage with you dealing with the idea that Jesus Christ is the true vine. Notice if you don't mind what he has to say about this. Now again, Jesus taught quite a bit about being a follower of here. And he gave lots of uh, sermons about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice this in John chapter 15. The Last Supper has already been produced. Jesus Christ and his disciples are now on the road walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus Christ is pulling his disciples aside knowing that in a few hours he's going to be crucified and put up on a cross and be killed and that he's trying to prepare his disciples to carry on without him. John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Notice we're talking about fruit again. Notice every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it. Why? That it may bring forth more fruit. We're going to continue on with this, but notice as it starts off, it's talking about the idea of a fruit. What is the purpose of an apple tree? Very good. To produce apples. If you have a branch on an apple tree that's not producing apples, does that branch benefit the tree? No, because it's not doing its purpose. And God's giving the illustration here that a Christian who's not producing fruit is not part of the vine. Not, it's something's wrong with it. And if it's in the way, it's going to be healthier for that tree to purge it, to get it root. Notice as it goes on, and every branch that does bear fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. The idea of purging in this idea, dealing with the idea of botany is to actually clean up some of the branches, clean up some of the things on the branch so that way it's better able to produce fruit. By the way, following after God is a purging life. There are things that God is going to pull out of your life on purpose so that way you could produce more fruit. By the way, some of that purging is not bad things. But remember that good is often the enemy of the best. And that there are some good things that may need to be purged out of our life so that way we can have the best thing, which is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ for the purpose that we produce more fruit. If we had the choice of producing fruit or more fruit for the glory of God, which one's more glorifying? More fruit. Well, then there's going to be a purging process in us. Notice as it goes on, verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word 
which I've spoken to you. Isn't that wonderful? We're not going to go chase after this. We already have. But notice it's the word of God that he's placing emphasis on. We're clean through his word. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Here's the secret. It's about plugging ourselves into Christ. To be grafted in into Christ and letting him bear the fruit. It's nothing we could do of ourselves. If you we had an apple tree branch here and we said, looky, we're going to get apples here. Let's just go ahead and watch this branch. Is it ever going to produce fruit? No. no, because it's not plugged into the branch, to the main trunk. It's going to die and wither of itself. That... <laughs> We have to be plugged into Christ. Verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I am him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now notice verse 2. More fruit. Here. Much fruit. And the same bringeth forth much fruit. And without me you can do nothing. Notice this again. There's a great emphasis on producing fruit. And that only comes when we're plugged into Christ. And we're only plugging into Christ when we're abiding in him, when we're dead to self. He must live. All those are plugging in together. Verse number six. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered. And men gather them and cast them forth into the fire and they are burned. Here again, if we're not producing fruit, what the Bible says fruit, by the way, then we're worthless. Might as well just throw them in the fire. Verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Here we start learning what does it mean about abiding in Christ? The word of God abiding in Christ. That's not just meaning, well, I read it. It means the idea that I'm obeying it, living it. It's part of me. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye should ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Herein is my Father glorified. All right, here we go. Summary statement. How is God glorified? That you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. If we're following after Christ, one of the evidences, not the goal, but the evidences is producing fruit. That's how God is glorified. Now, we'll define terms a little bit later, but may I just take a small definition? The law in science called the law of biogenesis. Anybody know what that means? The law of biogenesis. Everything reproduces after its own kind. So if I have a banana tree, am I going to get an orange? So everything reproduces after its own kind. So what's the only fruit that a Christian can reproduce? Another Christian. So we're talking about bearing fruit. Seeing other Christians. That's the fruit that we have. If a Christian is not seeing other people come to know Christ, not part of discipleship, you're missing it because this is how God is glorified by seeing more people come to know Christ, by seeing people follow after him. That's the goal. God is glorified in that and that's how we glorify him. How does that happen, by the way? By being plugged into him. Now, we're going to talk more about this in the next couple of weeks. This is introduction. This is just kind of giving you a taste of what you're going to have. But remember, as we have this marked for us, that we have to die. So that way we can produce more fruit. Following after Christ. Making him the goal. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.